Welcome back to So Every Soul Sings, Worship for the Real Church. I'm Bethany Pettigo. I'm here with my friend Rod Ellis. And we were talking earlier today about a devotional book that I read, I think, every year that I was in college called mm. My Utmost for His Highest. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people have read it, but it really stuck with me, certain parts of it. And one of those quotes that he has in there is, prayer does not equip us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And I loved it so much because I actually love to worship and pray. And so it was, you know, already reinforcing (laughs) what I knew all along. But I find that there is this sort of dichotomy between people who are worshipy pray people people who are like evangelistic work serve people Mm. and i'm married to someone who is an acts of service love language person in addition to that and so i find that sometimes it's hard to mesh the two so it's kind of like the mary and martha thing yes we are either mary or martha we're we're seldom a healthy blending of the two exactly Mm. So does prayer feel like the greater work to you when you're doing it? Does it feel like this is the most powerful thing I could be doing today? I think because of my experience, Uh I say that now. Okay. But maybe when I was younger, it was something I enjoyed and I believed. Right. But I didn't always see that happening. Hmm. But now... And not just in my own life. I mean, I've seen tremendous answers to prayer. Miraculous things happen as a result of my prayers, other people praying for me, uh, my children praying, amazing, Mm. mind-blowingly revelatory things that, like... Well, this she wasn't even praying, but one day my six-year-old daughter said, you know, the Holy Spirit, it just plugs you into heaven. (laughs) I was like, yeah, yes, exactly. Yes, and we Uh, often live powerless lives because we're not plugged in, and prayer is the thing that plugs us in, right? Exactly, and and other people's stories as well. I mean, I grew up in a missionary family. We lived in Liberia, West Africa, for seven years when I was a kid, and there were multitudes of people praying for us. Mm. And yes, you know, we had things happen. People got malaria. My father had a motorcycle accident and we think he broke his ankle Hmm. and it was miraculously healed. Like he could not walk on it. And at the time he was far, far away from any kind of medical facility. And so I've experienced this, the power of God when people pray. It's, it's, it's truly transformational. It changes Hmm. people. It changes circumstances. Um, most importantly, it changes the person who does it. At the end of the last episode, I I teased this one with, we're going to talk about another highly practical subject and none of you expected me to say prayer. Did you? (laughs) Uh, that's one of those spiritual things. I, I learned this. I am learning this. I have not yet learned it. I am learning this, but I started learning it when my friend Jill, uh, Jill Cutler, um, Jill, if you're listening in Harrodsburg, Kentucky, um, hey, I miss you. Uh, Jill and I led worship together in Frankfort, Kentucky. I served at the Memorial Baptist Church there for seven years. Um, and Jill taught me something. Actually, she didn't come up with it. The lady who led her to Jesus did, but, but Jill shared it with me. And she said, the only way to get anything done is to pray. 
And I just, I, the first time I heard it, I kind of wanted to laugh, like, okay, what's the punchline? Because um, <laughs> that's not the way I get things done. I get things done by opening up my computer and doing things. Or I get things done by going out in the yard and doing things. Or I get things done by getting into a meeting with people and, you know, coming up with a strategy. You know, that's the way I get things done. And the more I've thought about that over the last, goodness, nearly 20 years since she told me that, um, the more I'm convinced that she's right. It, it feels backwards. It's counterintuitive. But I think it's actually true. And, and I've, as I've thought about it, and the reason I wanted to say to you, um, podcast listeners, that, that this is a highly practical thing is because it, it's practical in the ways that matter. So nearly everything I do while not praying won't matter 10 years from now. If I don't mow my yard this week, 10 years from now, nobody's going to care that I missed a week of mowing my yard. But if I don't pray, then, then certain things 10 years from now may not turn out the same way. And I don't mean that I have control over that. I just mean that God invites input. And at least that's the way scripture reads to me. Um, so I want to pray about things that might matter in 10 years. Even, even more, um, what about things that matter in eternity? Like things that seem to matter here, if you think about them in light of eternity, they probably don't matter much, if any. But praying really can. So when I pray for my marriage or my kids, um, who are adults now uh, and, and beautiful and amazing, when I pray for the lost, even when I pray for my ministry and the needs that we have in my ministry, those are, those are the kinds of things that may matter for all of eternity. And that's why, for me, prayer is an extraordinarily practical thing. It just never feels like it. And I don't want to be ruled by the way that things feel. I want to be ruled by the things God says are true. So what does this have to do with worship? So every soul sings. How in the world does my prayer life impact the whole global concept of this podcast that we're doing? So every soul sings, worship for the real church. Um, here's my favorite example, and, and I, I've been saying this for decades since I first heard the story. Um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, we're talking about classics today, Oswald Chambers and, and C.H. Spurgeon, my goodness, those yeah. are giants. Spurgeon was probably the most famous and influential preacher of his era. Um, he says prayer was the reason for his effectiveness, and, and here's why, why he says that. While he was the pastor of New Park Street Church Chapel, or New Park Street Chapel, sorry, in London, England, the church built a new sanctuary. Um, they had to build a new sanctuary because he was so popular as a preacher, they couldn't get enough seats. There were people standing outside the old building, listening through the doors to try to hear him. I, I, I can't even imagine what it was like to hear him preach. But when they built the new sanctuary, it was 1861. So put that in perspective, 1861, that's 158 years ago. Okay, so think about church buildings in our world now. Really big sanctuaries, how big are they? Um, normal sanctuaries, how big are they? In 1861, they built the Metropolitan Tabernacle, and they made 5,000 seats with room for another 1,000 for standing room. So they anticipated in the building of the worship space that there would be standing room only crowds. That's amazing. Um, then when they built the building, uh, there was a basement and it was by design and very strategic. And in that basement, there was a room big enough directly under the pulpit of the sanctuary where, where Spurgeon was going to preach 
that for every thousand men in the language of the day, for every thousand men worshiping, there would be a hundred men praying. So if the house was packed, 6,000 people in worship, there would be a prayer movement in the basement of 600 people praying for the 6,000 worshiping. And Spurgeon says that's why he was a great preacher. So not because of his education, not because of his gifting, not because of his eloquence, not because of his insight, not because of the epiphanies even that God gave him, but because there were people praying while he preached, there was power in his preaching. That's practical. It may not feel like it, but it is so practical. Our pastor here at Woodburn sometimes, okay, every week, calls us to do things that are not possible. <laughs> I can't do the things he challenges me to do. It, I'm, I'm a natural fallen broken man and he calls me beyond who I am and I'm just here to tell you that I can't do it. But we don't worship a natural God, we worship a supernatural God. We don't pray to a natural God, we pray to a supernatural God. And the strength to do everything my pastor calls me from scripture to do is absolutely possible with the one who can make the impossible possible. It is absolutely doable with the one who can do anything. It is absolutely normal when we live with resurrection power to do resurrection kinds of things. And that's why in our services here at Woodburn, and we have three of them. We have about 300 people who come at 8 o'clock. We have about 150 who come at 9.30 in a different venue. It's amazing. Shout out to Cafe Worship. We love you guys. <laughs> and another 300 or so who come at 11 o'clock. So our services aren't giant. But what if we had one person in each of those services, just one, who was in our prayer, meet, prayer room, who was praying for Tim while he preaches, who was praying for the worship leaders while we lead singing, who was praying for the worshipers while they're gathered. What could it make possible? These things that Tim calls us to do that we can't do, what if through the power of the most practical thing we can do and praying, what if it unlocked the power of resurrection living in our day-to-day -day lives, not just our church lives. As Tim says, not your church life, but your life life. What if in our life life, we had that kind of power because of people who were praying during services? Worship leaders at churches who are listening, and it may be two or 200 or 2,000. I don't have any idea who will hear this eventually, but can I just challenge you to have people pray during services? It could change the eternity of somebody's soul. It could change the way your ministry looks like a week from now, a year from now, or a decade from now. When we get people praying, we will unlock and unleash power like I don't think this country has seen in decades, maybe even centuries. So I want to call us to a level of prayer that is practical. Because the only way to get anything done is to pray. I think one of the keys is that when, when you pray or people are praying for you, they're engaging in faith, mm. which is they're praying for something they don't have or don't see yet with faith. Yeah. Like faith is the substance right. of things hoped for, the yeah. evidence of things not seen. 
And that is what pleases God. Right, because it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to please him without faith. And I love that the next verse there, it says, anyone who comes to God must believe that he is and mm-hmm. that he is a rewarder of mm-hmm. those who seek him. Wow. Like, that's what we are receiving. We're <coughs> receiving a reward yes. from God's pleasure. Hmm. Because when we pray, we must activate faith. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have seen it happen in my own life, and yet I struggle to pray like I want to. I pray every day, but I don't pray every day for very long. Some days I pray for a while. I've, I've, uh, I've been working to get healthier, and so three days a week now I swim for about 30 minutes. And it's a great prayer time, because I can't do anything else. I mean, I can think, and I can remember to breathe, you know, every two strokes or four. Um, but it's a beautiful prayer time. If you don't have an activity in your life right now that makes it possible for you to be, to be um, alone with Jesus, could I just encourage you that even if, it were, if, if, if you're an active person, if you're a Martha more than a Mary, if it's easier for you to pray while washing dishes, then wash dishes. Mm-hmm. Wash them when they're clean. Running. But just, yeah, running. For those of you who, I hate to run. Um, <laughs> even when I was reasonably fit, I, I would run up and down the basketball court for two hours, but I hated to get out and run. Um, but I love swimming. So running, cycling, anything that's active, that your brain is not required for, find a way to be able to devote those um, moments, those minutes, um, even if it's a lot of minutes, to prayer. Because the only way to get anything done is to pray. And there is so much that needs to be done. There's so much that needs to be done in me and in you. There's so much that needs to be done in my teams and in your teams. There's so much that needs to be done in my church and your church. There's so much that needs to be done in my country and your country. Um, and the only way to get it done is to pray. If you're a part of Woodburn Church and you're hearing that and you'd like to serve in the prayer room, would you shoot me an email? You've already got it. It's on all our newsletters and bulletins and all that sort of thing. You can text me, our, my phone numbers and all that stuff too. I'm really convinced that James 5 is right. The only way that we're going to discover powerful and effective living is in prayer. James says the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. We're made righteousness because of what Christ has done, because we're dressed in his robes of righteousness. And when we pray, there's powerful and effectiveness. That's the way we get things done. And anybody can. Elijah was a man just like us. That's right. And he prayed that it yes. would not rain. Same chapter, James 5. Yeah. And and um, in a previous episode, I think it was, that Bethany said, um, the people in the Bible are real. They're messed up. I love that Elijah, I mean, he was prophets of Baal. This is Elijah. Like, <laughs> One of the most epic stories in all of scripture, and Elijah was a man just like us, written by James, the brother of Jesus, who was a man just like us. I mean, James, can you imagine, as Andy Stanley says regularly, can you imagine believing that your brother is Jesus? I mean, James was a man just like us. Elijah was a man just like us. You and I are human beings just like them. It is not because of who we are that God does a great work in prayer. It's because of who he is. So do the most practical thing you can do this week and pray and unleash the prayer of your people. And it might just change everything. In fact, it might make it, it might make it so that in your church this Sunday, every soul sings. So in keeping with making this the most practical episode we've done so far. 
um, I would love for you to hear the praying voice of my friend Bethany as she prays for you. All right, I'm going to be praying out of a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Mm. Verse 17, and this is the Passion Translation. Now if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished, and behold, everything is fresh and new. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not keeping records of our transgressions, and has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. And we carry this message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly Mm. through our lips. So Lord, I just thank you for everyone hearing these words that if they have been enfolded into Christ, they have become an entirely new creation. I thank you that everything related to the old order in their lives has vanished. Lord, I Mm. thank you that we have put on Christ, that we have become through your great mercy, God, the righteousness of God. And Lord, I just pray for the person who's listening to this that might be haunted by parts of their old life. Mm. I pray that you would speak to them right now and that you would point out to them the difference between the voice of the accuser and your voice. Yes. I love that you promise in your word, Jesus, that your sheep know your voice Mm -hmm. and they will not even listen to the voice of another. So for that person, I pray, Father, that they would hear your voice and to the voice of another, to the voice of the accuser, they would not even listen. Yes. Lord, I thank you for the marvelous gift of this ministry of reconciliation Mm -hmm. that you have given to all of us to every single believer that we have been given this incredible sacred task that you have promised to help us do, that you have promised to equip us to do, and you have promised to actually speak through us to the world, pleading tenderly with the world to be reconciled to you because that is your heart. I thank you that it is your heart to reconcile people to you. I thank you that your heart is for restoration. I thank you that your heart and your purpose is to make all things new. That that is why you came, Jesus. Mm. That is why you sent the Holy Spirit, Jesus. That is why you sent your Son, Father. And so, beautiful triune God, we thank you for reconciling us to you. And we thank you for this ministry of reconciliation that we get to be a part of. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time.